Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. When Faith Mosier asked me to do this talk, um, I said yes right away, but because uh, I have nothing to do on Saturday morning. So uh, I just always hope for something to happen. But um, <laughs> she asked me to talk about the past, okay? So one of the themes of uh, the day today is to talk about the past. And I think one of the reasons that she asked me to do that is because I teach a course on the catechetical saints, uh, which um, there are some of my students in here right now. Um, and I love that work uh, looking at the saints of the church. And so I've, I've developed the course. Um, nobody else does that work on the catechetical saints, the research. Bob Rice just uses mine when he teaches the course. <laughs> and. Um, and I've written a small book on the catechetical saints of North America. But saints have always been an, a very, very important part of my life. So of course, the saints are in the past. Uh, but for some of us, uh, the saints have also been in the present because some of us have actually met or seen live St. John Paul. So that's an unusual event that many of us have seen uh, somebody who was a saint. Um, I met Mother Teresa, you know, and shook hands with her and talked to her for a little bit. And on that same day that I met Mother Teresa, I met Fulton Sheen. So, yeah, I know that got people's attention. So, um, and we had a little, a little argument because uh, I was outside of this conference, you know, just walking, getting some fresh air. I was young sister. And he drives up in the car. I mean, somebody drove him up, and he got out of the car. And of course, as a good sister, I ran to open the door for the bishop, right? And he wouldn't let me. And so we had this little argument about, no, you know, I should be doing it. No. And so anyway, so, um, but that was on the same day. And, and I had the opportunity to see John Paul uh, quite often, and I actually got to really touch him. So I've touched an actual saint, which is great, a living saint, not a dead one or a relic or anything. So, um, so the saints are very, very important in my life. They're not relegated to the past. All of us, I hope, uh, know somebody in our lives right now that we just kind of know that there's something really special. So those of us this week and last week who are still mourning the death of Father Michael Scanlon, uh, he hired me uh, to come here and teach. And so last week, we had the memorial service. Some of you have never seen him alive. Most of you have never seen him alive. And so um, I always felt that in some ways, I was in the presence of a saint when I was with him. Uh, after the memorial mass here last week, uh, I was talking to Father Brian Kavanaugh. And I said to him, you know, when I was hot, when I, I interviewed for a job and I was here and I was so nervous, because I'm a religious, I go where I'm sent. So it was the first time that I ever applied for a job. So I was a wreck anyway. And then, um, so I had to go talk to him. And I was so worried that he was going to read my soul. That was my big fear. Because <laughs> he could do that, you know? And Father Brian said, yeah, he did it, any he did it but he hired you anyway. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, so that's what I'm going to uh, talk to you today about is are some saints, but also 
people in the past who can be our heroes. I drink lots of coffee, which makes my mouth really dry, so I'm going to have to do this, which I don't like to do in front of you, but anyway. <laughs> and I can't give up coffee, so. <laughs> All right. So the first, um, I just have to say, which some of you won't be surprised, I want to talk to you a little bit about Hamilton. So my students know uh, that I have this new, deep, profound uh, love for the musical on Broadway, Hamilton. And if you haven't heard of it, I think you've been living under a rock for quite some time. <laughs> so that's your job to go um, do that. And because he's waiting for it, I'm going to pick on uh, Patrick O'Brien right now. Uh, but <laughs> took a while, all right? So, but Patrick is the only student I've had who actually said, yeah, I saw it. OK, so it's like, uh, nobody else I know went to see it, even if it was off-Broadway. So anyway, a little jealous there. But the thing with Hamilton uh, and its creator, Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, is that Lin-Manuel Miranda himself says, well, Hamilton's not medicine. Hamilton doesn't fix all the problems of the world, although it brings some of those things to us. He's a 30, Miranda's a 36-year-old uh, from his parents were born in Puerto Rico. Uh, he grew up in the Heights, okay, so Washington Heights in New York City. His first play on Broadway musical was in the Heights. Um, he has won every major prize that is available to him. He won a MacArthur Genius Grant. He won 11 uh, Tonys for the play on Broadway, 11 Tonys, that's a lot. Pulitzer Prize for drama that he wrote the, wrote the musical and also wrote the book that goes along with it. Um, he's just amazing, okay? But um, he's a fallen away Catholic, so that's my prayer. He has no idea, okay, that I'm on him. <laughs> Now, he's also kind of nerdy, all right? And he had the power, though, to convert me not entirely to hip hop. <laughs> so I'm pretty nerdy myself. And when Hamilton was starting to be talked about, and it's, I only got it through the news on the computer, um, I had no interest in it, even though I love history and I love that Revolutionary War period in our history. Um, I had no interest in Hamilton because it was hip hop had no, none whatsoever. So I watched the news one day, well, I watched news every morning and looked at the news and there was this thing on carpool karaoke from James Corden. I do pray, I am a religious, okay? <laughs> I just wanna tell you, okay, that I do, I watch the news, okay? So I just, it just piqued my attention with this carpool karaoke idea, which I didn't know about. Um, and so I clicked on it, and then there's Lin-Manuel Miranda, and he and James Corden are singing songs from Hamilton, and I was hooked. And so um, while I never in my lifetime expect to see Hamilton, uh, I listen to the music, to the soundtrack, and it's amazing. Um, the thing that also gets me with what Lin-Manuel Miranda has done in the ability to convert me to hip-hop is, is a very powerful conversion experience for somebody who doesn't like that music or like that kind of lifestyle that goes along with that, and that I was able to accept that. Um, the fact that he works this hard 
uh, and is able to write a hip-hop musical that's won every major award that's available to him about Alexander Hamilton. So he's on the $10 bill and he died in a duel. Most people don't know that much more about him, right? So imagine our power in being Catholic, being Christian, and using every means that are uh, available to us to bring people to the gospel and not to Alexander Hamilton. So while by itself I love the play, the music, all of that, uh, it is also an inspiration to me to do the best job that I possibly can to bring people to Jesus Christ because that's more important than bringing people to hip-hop or Alexander Hamilton. Do you understand that? So that's my present life, okay? So that right now uh, is what I'm really, really interested in. Um, in, in uh, yeah, so in the past, kind of, I also have a, I love the Avengers, okay, and I, I love parts of the Marvel Universe, the X-Men, and uh, which is also very, very strange. Um, I like all of the Avengers because they're all flawed. They're not the perfect superheroes because kind of on their own, except for Thor, um, they, they have kind of external powers, right? So the Hulk, that's an unfortunate experience, went wrong. Um, so he's flawed. Iron Man is flawed. Um, the fact that Iron Man 2, that he uh, had PTSD, I thought was just not wonderful. He doesn't exist. So you, it's okay that you're kind of happy that he got P PTSD, but um, <laughs> that it does show his flaws. So that's another place where we look, where we can see heroes in our lives. They are flawed. We're flawed. They work to overcome their, they fought in, um, Captain America, Civil War, they, you know, they kind of divided sides and went against each other. But I think that's a wonderful illustration of the human psyche, the human nature to do, I'm looking at all my method students here that I had in the summer. Um, so we had fun, didn't we? And so um, all of that is really important. And, and another, uh, I love uh, the Lord of the Rings and I love Aragorn and he doesn't exist in real life, but I wish he did. Um, I have his action figure in my office. I had all the action figures, every single one of them, I gave them to my nephew, who had to swear um, on Aragorn's thro uh, throne that he would not throw them away. So he's, t he's 28 years old, and he still has them up, so that's a good sign. So, and then my favorite Civil War character is General Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, who is just an extraordinary man. Um, was a university professor, which is one reason I'm kind of interested in him. Uh, he wanted to fight in the Civil War. He taught at Bowdoin College in Maine. Uh, the university wouldn't let him leave, wouldn't give him, you know, say, yeah, you should go. They said, absolutely not. He said, well, then can I go to Europe and study foreign, more languages and philosophy? And they said, oh, sure. And then he signed up. <laughs> so... Uh, but he was an extraordinarily brave man, and he's the general that General Grant picked uh, to receive the surrender of the, uh, the South, okay, of the um, Confederacy. Uh, general Lee picked uh, John Gordon, General John Gordon, to give the formal surrender. He was also a Civil War hero. Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain received it, and of course, at that moment, it's awful, right? It's just an awful 
time for the Confederates because they're starving for one thing. They don't have enough. They never had enough food. They don't have shoes. Lots of them, um, and all of those things. And so the Union soldiers were inclined to kind of jeer at the Confederates as they gave up their flags and their swords. Uh, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain had them salute the Confederacy. And so I, that's also somebody that I think really shows that internal uh, desire, the war is done, this is over, and now we're going to respect these men who gave everything and we're going to rebuild this country. So that, those are the kind of people that get my attention, all right, all the time. Uh, but they're not, none of them are saints. So the saints are better, all right, than Civil War generals. And I love President Lincoln, and I love uh, Bobby Kennedy, all those people in history uh, that I've had a great uh, affection for and really admire and try to emulate. Uh, they're not the saints. When we have relationship with the saints, the next step is we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. or. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. For some of you, it's kind of you're still in that brand new experience of coming into union with Jesus Christ. And then we look at people who uh, did it, and we look at them and say, what did they do? How did they do it? And that's the wonderful thing about them. When I was teaching, uh, I taught junior high and high school for a long time, and I taught American history. Uh, but one thing that always frustrated me, though, with students trying to have role models is that if I picked out somebody in, in, in culture that's real, uh, they'd mess up somehow. So it's hard to believe, but when I taught 7th and 8th grade the first couple of years, I used Michael Jackson as a role model for my students. He changed, okay? When he started out, he was squeaky clean, Christian, and then it all went downhill. Okay, Pete Rose was one of the greatest baseball players ever, and it was found out he was in cheating scandal, and it's not in the Hall of Fame. And you know, so those people that were heroes at the time, uh, Mark McGuire played for the St. Louis Cardinals. He met the Pope. He was a practicing Catholic, and then it turned out he took steroids. And so every time there's kind of this big popular hero, they're flawed, and it's but it's not in a movie. So the flaws aren't resolved. The flaws are there. We're all sinful. We all make mistakes in our life. But the saints don't ever let us down. They don't change. They don't take steroids. They don't, you know, once they're canonized, the church is saying they're in heaven. So once they're in heaven, that's the end of it. They're not going to change. They're not going to disappoint us. They're not going to switch sides, so to speak. And so we should be uh, immersed in the lives of the saints. And the first saint that I, uh, in memory, have a, a devotion to, other than like Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, okay, so those are the big three in my whole life, uh, was St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. So I read a book. Um, I read before I went to school, so I just read all the time. And one of my uncles bought me a book on nurses, heroic nurses, because my mother was a nurse, all my aunts are nurses. And when I entered the convent, I was going to be a nurse. And so that didn't happen, obviously, so here I am. But um, so in this book on nurses was Mother Cabrini. And so, you know, she's just this little Italian woman who wanted to be a missionary. And she went to the Pope, and she said, I want to go to China. And he said, no, go to America. 
So she came just before the turn of the 20th century. She made 56 trips back and forth on the Atlantic Ocean. Um, a lot of you don't even know who I'm talking about, right? Mother Cabrini. So she's the first Ameri you're Italian. Are you from New York? Okay, right there. You're just smiling at me, never mind. Okay, so um, yeah, so she was deathly afraid of water and she crossed the ocean 56 times to bring other sisters to New York um, to work with the Italian immigrants that nobody cared about. Okay, so she was one of those first people who recognized the plight of immigrants in this country, especially Catholic immigrants uh, who had two strikes against them because they were immigrants and they were Catholic. Uh, and so she was the first American citizen to be canonized. So she's huge in my life. I just love her. Um, last year, I had to go to Rome for several meetings. And uh, I, Mother Cabrini, I, I wrote this book on the saints. And so Archbishop uh, Reno Fisichella is head of the Pontifical Council for the New Evangelization. That's who I was working for in Rome. And I gave him a copy of my book. And... Um, and he, you know, it was nice. He made me sign it, which I was kind of embarrassed. And then um, um, when the meeting was over, I went to him and I said, thank you, Your Excellency, for the invitation. It was an honor to serve. And he said, your book, there's a problem. So I almost passed out, OK? So <laughs> it's like next to the Pope, my boss, all right, for catechetics. And I said, there is. And he said, Mother Cabrini is not in the book. And I said, oh, she is, she is, she's in there. And he said, yes, but she doesn't have her own chapter. You must read it, you must write another book. Well, that didn't happen yet. But anyway, so it turns out that in his lifetime, he's from the same village as her in Italy, and he carries her relic around in his pocket. And I said, Excellency, I have her relic on my desk in my office. He went, oh, CC. So uh, she has never let me down, okay, Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, Mother Cabrini. But I want to then go, go and go back to the Old Testament, okay? We don't really kind of, at least I don't always look to the Old Testament for saints, but they are, right, the prophets. So we hope they're all in heaven, which I'm sure those prophets, uh, they went through so much suffering. And one of my favorites... Uh, saying people from the Old Testament is Ezekiel. Have you ever read the book of Ezekiel? It's just strange. Okay, it's just really strange. And so it's called apocalyptic literature. It's bigger than life. It's all full of symbolism. It's kind of looking at the end times, the coming of the Messiah. And I just want to read a little bit, um, just one little story about what God asks Ezekiel to do. Okay, so in chapter... Uh, four, Ezekiel writes, at the end of seven days, as for you, son of man, God is, is talking to Ezekiel, take a, ta a clay tablet, lay it in front of you, and draw on it a city, Jerusalem. Raise a siege against it, build a tower, lay out a ramp, pitch camps, and set up battering rams all around. Then take an iron griddle and set it up as an iron wall between you and the city. Fix your gaze on it. It shall be the state of siege, and you shall besiege it. This shall be a sign for the house of Israel. Then you shall take it, lie on your left side, while I place the sins of the house of Israel upon you. As many days as you lie thus, you shall, hear, you shall bear their sins." 
For the years of their sins I allot you the same number of days, 390, during which you will bear the sins of the house of Israel. When you finish this, you are to lie down again, but on your right side, and bear the sins of the house of Judah 40 days, one day for each year I have allotted you. Fixing your gaze on the siege of Jerusalem with bared arm, you shall prophesy against it. See, I will bind you with cords so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have completed the days of your siege. So a lot of you go to the port and say, Lord, tell me what to do. All right? <laughs> right? And you're just sitting there saying, why don't you tell me what to do? How come you haven't told me what to do? I'm discerning, I'm discerning, I'm discerning, I'm discerning, but you haven't written a letter to anybody or gone to visit a website or gone to the vocation fair. Okay? Right? Yeah. There's Ezekiel. Build a model of Jerusalem. Then lay on your side. And then don't move. And all of those things. Imagine if the Lord said all those things to you. You think you were out of your mind, right? Like that. That can't be his will. That is just bizarre. But it's not. I mean, it's bizarre, okay? But Ezekiel was obedient to the will of God. And there's no hesitation. He did all those things. And it gets worse, okay? So you should read the book of Ezekiel uh, and see how willing he was. Sometimes we think of the prophets and Isaiah and all those wonderful stories in the Old Testament. And um, we think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to do all that? Wouldn't it be just great to be, you know, do all those things for the Lord? Okay, all right. Um, yeah. So get up at 6 o'clock on Saturday morning, go to Mass, and go to the abortion clinic. Couldn't do it this morning, but you're here. Is he asking you to do that? Perhaps, okay? So is that really strange? It's strange that we have to go pray in front of an abortion clinic, but it's not that strange, right? He's not telling you to make a model of the city of Jerusalem and, you know, lay on your side that long. So I'm just, it's just, we, lo we look at that, okay, we think everything is easy kind of in Scripture if we only had that direct contact with the Lord that the prophets had. But we do, right? And we have even more because we have the second person of the Blessed Trinity became man. So we have an even easier way than to the prophets in the Old Testament who didn't have Jesus, who weren't, didn't have all their sins taken away, who were struggling uh, with the idea of what happened to Israel and Judah and all the things that the Lord... Does that make sense to you? Another one of my favorite parts of the Old Testament are, is the whole stories of the Maccabees. You ever read the Maccabees? That's Hanukkah. You know Hanukkah? It's not Jewish Christmas, okay? <laughs> Actually, in the whole Jewish liturgical calendar, from which we get the idea of a liturgical calendar, uh, Hanukkah is a very small feast. But Hallmark, as it's done to Christmas, has also done it to Hanukkah and makes it extraordinarily commercial and like a big deal. So it's the Jewish substitution for Christmas. Even some people celebrate Christmas Hanukkah or Hanukkah Christmas, or, which is just nuts, okay? So um, if you go at Christmas time, if you go to a card store or even to Walmart and you look at all the Christmas cards, right, what's the percentage of religious Christmas cards? 
Very small, right? If you go to the same section, there's not that many Jewish people in the Steubenville area, but if you go to New York or you go you know, places where there's a large Jewish population, even into Pittsburgh, uh, and the Hanukkah cards are there, it's the same thing, okay? It's all about potato pancakes, which, and, and the menorah, which nobody knows what that means anymore, and so, you know, I love potato pancakes because I'm Polish and I grew up with all that influence, but uh, that's not what Hanukkah is about. It's about the story of the Maccabees and their uh, desire to overthrow the people who have come in to take over their country. And so they have destroyed, the, if you look at Maccabees chapter 1, it talks about the destruction of the uh, temple and uh, who's going to, that their Jews are forbidden to worship in the temple or even possess a copy of the covenant. They can't even do that. And then um, the ultimate abomination on the 15th day of the month of Chislev in the year of 145, the king erected a horrible abomination upon the altar of Holocaust and in the surrounding cities of Judah, they built pagan altars. What was the abomination? Anybody know the abomination put in the temple? Don't you take Dr. Bergsma? No. Not yet, okay. <laughs> it's Zeus, okay? It was the statue of Zeus. So the Jews don't have any images of God, right? They don't because of the Ten Commandments. And then a statue of Zeus is put into the, the Greek, you know, number one on the hit list, on <laughs> the... Never mind. Okay, so <laughs> Zeus is a really, you know, is the most important deity in the whole Greek system. And then Matthias and his sons decide they've, they can't do this anymore. And so they rebel uh, against the Greeks and try to overthrow the Greeks and are actually successful. Okay, so that's another people from the Old Testament who look at something that's wrong and fix it. Okay, and do and sacrifice their whole lives in order to fix this. That we cannot accept this abomination uh, in the temple. We can't accept the abomination that's being practiced in the whole country of Israel. So, for ourselves too. So, we look at uh, Ezekiel who followed God's will no matter what strange thing God asked him to do. He was willing to do it, and he did it, and he did it faithfully over and over and over and over again. We see the story of the Maccabees who saw the abomination. One family that gathered followers and said, this is enough, and I'm not saying we should use violence against oppressors, but sometimes it's necessary, and that's what they did at the cost of their life. So when we look at the lives of the saints, we can look at the lives of these prophets and saying, what lesson can I learn? Not just what is God telling me, you know, through the word, do Lexio Divina. Ezekiel is really kind of hard to do Lexio Divina with because it's just one odd story after the other. But if you really look at his spirit of obedience, it can be a very profound experience of prayer. If we look at the Maccabees and we look at where we live right now, the past always has the influence it should on the present. And so we live in a time where we're getting dangerously and more dangerously uh, away from the idea of religious liberty in this country. It's really being taken away in small and subtle ways and in very, very great um, 
ways. And I, I just want to say this too. I, I um, said it in some of my classes the other day on Thursday, but uh, yesterday was the inauguration of President Trump, okay? Some students and some faculty and some staff refuse to watch the inauguration because they hate Trump. Is that right? I'm looking for a real answer here. Don't just sit there looking at me saying, I wish she'd go away. Is that why we should not watch the inauguration? I'm really serious about this. Are you American, most of you? No matter what uh, your political views are, he's still the president. No matter what your political views are, he's still the president. He's not Hitler. I don't care for him at all, okay? So he's still the president of the United States. And we have to respect the office of president, even with President Obama, we didn't agree with most of what he had to say or what he did in the country, still the President of the United States. If they choose to do things that are wrong, like the taking away of religious liberty, yes, we have to fight against that and speak out against that. Nonetheless, he's still the President of the United States and patriotism is a virtue. It's not just kindness and mercy and understanding and all of those things that are so easy for us kind of in some ways to do it. Patriotism is a virtue. Going to the abortion clinic this morning is an act of patriotism because we want to change the laws of the country, laws that are evil. Then we can speak out. See what I mean? There's a big difference there. So I was a little bit upset yesterday. Well, I was a lot upset yesterday, but um, about people saying, you know, well, I'm not watching it because I hate them. I, my first inauguration, I remember, was President Nixon's, and I did hate him. I was, eight, I was in grade eight, okay? So I was a nerd, and I was Canadian. But, <laughs> but I remember my mother, because I just kind of screamed at the television set, and I remember my mother telling me to settle down, that this was the event, okay? That's the inauguration of the President of the United States. So... Uh, that, that is all part of our life, okay? So how do we uh, change things that we don't like? There's a process in this country to change things. We can have open dialogue. Hopefully, uh, so President Trump says, you know, that he uh, is against abortion. He kind of had a big flip on that, but we'll see what happens. Nonetheless, we still have to be at it. So getting up on Saturday morning, I, we don't go to abortion clinics, okay, to pray in front of abortion clinics. I get up on Saturday mornings that's, you know, to go to the 6 o'clock mass because that's my contribution to that, okay, because we get to sleep in on Saturday. So, and I'm no saint by any stretch. I ask my students or my sisters that I live with. Um, but even next week, you know, going to Washington um, for the March for Life, it, that's not, uh, it sounds all exciting and a lot of fun. It's a big Catholic get together. Uh, you see lots of people that you know down there, but it is a sacrifice. And those of you that went last year, <laughs> yeah, 
You know, Father Nathan, I think Father Nathan is the saint in our midst on this campus. And uh, when he got back, because he's stuck on the buses as well, and he said, you know, a lot of those students had their toothbrushes. If I only had thought of that and had a toothbrush. So, you know, they're stuck on a bus for 24 hours, and that's his, he wished he had a toothbrush. <laughs> it's Father Nathan, okay? So um, that idea. Uh, so that, those are just two people from the Old Testament. Now I just want to do a little kind of talking to you about people, saints in the New Testament and what they can do for us uh, to help us with everything that we need to do in our lives uh, to be holy because that's the big thing in our life. That's what makes this campus different than any other campus in the United States, I think, I'm sure, is that there's a decided effort on this campus to help our students become saints. And if you've missed out on that, you're saying, I didn't know that. Okay, that's your fault. Because God knows, and Dave Schmeezing's right there, uh, how much stuff goes on uh, to help you be holy. It's constant. It's always an embarrassment, like what, what do I do? Which one do I pick? I give my students extra credit for doing stuff like that, so it gives them a little help to make a decision. So, and I don't give extra credit very easily, all right? But so it's just to help them with that decision. For my students, I tell them what I would like them to go to because it'll make them a better catechist. In my catechetics class last year, right, there were students who did everything, right? last semester. So they, there were some students who went to everything I asked them to do, which is remarkable, all right? And it's making those sacrifices, like this morning, and some of you have to be here, but um, you know, it's, it's the university exists to give you a good education, and for sure you're getting that, but also to help you become a saint. That's what it's all about here. That was Father Michael Scanlon's founding vision, refounding vision of this university. Dave Schmeezing was a student under Father Michael. He was hired here when Father Michael was president. I was hired here when Father Michael was president. Um, there's, there's something very real and um, sad for us. Uh, we were in a meeting yesterday and it was kind of like, Everybody had something to say about Father Michael because of his greatness here. But we're all called to do that. He would be so upset um, if he thought that we were just kind of holding him up as the only model. We're also models for each other. You people are called to evangelize. By reason of our baptism, all of us must evangelize. So we look to the saints as examples and not say, I wish I could do that. That's not the right, it's not to wish, right? It's the deep desire to be holy and to take advantage of everything that the university offers to help you do that. Like mass every day. I always say it couldn't be any easier. The only other thing would be a father would come to your dorm room and have it for you. And some of you would be happy with that, okay? Just let me... I'll be on my bunk, you just, you know, go ahead and have mass. Why is there any reason not to go to mass every day on this campus? No reason. It's three times a day, okay, plus mass is all over the place. I was just on my home visit. I got to mass four days in a row. That was the top of what I did, okay? So I went, uh, one Sunday mass, I went in a nice storm. 
The next Sunday mass, I couldn't get there at all because there was a blizzard and then an ice storm on top of it, so you really couldn't. I mean, it was just dangerous. There's not enough priests, so on Mondays, there's no masses in the city. And on Tuesday, the mass is at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so I got to go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There's no masses on Saturday. Yeah, that's life. I, was, I'm not, I wasn't happy about it. But because I've worked here since 1999, to have that kind of lack in my life that I can't go to Mass every time, thank God it's all over television, right? My mother watches three Masses a day. <laughs> and sincerely, okay, she prays through all of them, so she's amazing. But, all right, so let's just kind of look at what we see. And I thought in the lives of the saints uh, that, that changes, okay, from the people in the Old Testament, is the incarnation, that God became man. So St. John says, God so loved the world that he sent his only son that all who believe in him may not perish but have eternal life, right? It's the favorite, hold up the sign, John 3.16, but do we know John 3.16? What is it really all about? Is God so loved the world that he sent his only son? Through his incarnation, God becoming man, our relationship with God is totally changed. And then through the Paschal mystery, his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension, we can enter into that incarnation. So he became man for us to save us from our sins, and then he went through his whole Paschal mystery. In between those two events, so the incarnation and the Paschal mystery, he taught us everything that we need to know in order to be one with him and to go to heaven forever. And he also showed us by his miracles that he truly was God, not just a nice guy. Okay, Jesus is my buddy. So I, I, well, I went to school in high school in the late 60s and early 70s, and it's all Jesus is my buddy. You don't have to go to confession because you don't really sin. You know, you can kind of do whatever you want. So and when I took religion in high school, the only thing I really remember learning was Hello Darkness, my old friend from Simon and Garfunkel. That would really help make you a saint, right? Yeah. Anyway, so when we think of the incarnation, God becoming man, it changes everything. It changes our relationship with God, for, for one. It changes our relationship with each other. It changes our relationship with our environment and it changes our relation with ourselves. So those are all the things that got destroyed because of the original sin. And so this union that we have um, helps us to bring this life to the people that were around and helps us to have that life. The sacraments, did God have to, did Jesus have to initiate the sacraments the way he did? No, he could just say, think this or say this and you're good. But instead, he used things, okay? He used water and bread and wine and oil, all the things that are extraordinarily important in the Jewish world at the time, the things that were readily accessible in the Jewish world at the time. He sanctified them and he gave them uh, the power, to, uh, didn't give them the power, but through those things, then he could act in order for us to receive the sacraments, which is the ultimate way of having us become holy, right? So St. John says in 1 John, that which we have heard, we have touched, you know, everything that's tangible, we come into contact with Jesus Christ. Now, that's also 
art, music, literature, film, all those things, they're not sacraments, but they can be used to bring us to Jesus Christ. So could you use, well, I've already gave it away, but could you use the Avengers in a religion class? Absolutely, okay? So they're not God, you have to make sure. People don't know that, okay? So Thor didn't really exist. And, um, and people look at, like the first Avengers movie, right? When Thor comes to get Loki and... Captain America's jumping out of the plane to go get him, and, and uh, the, uh, she says, you know, you shouldn't do that because they're like gods. And he says, there's only one God, ma'am, and he, I'm sure he doesn't dress like that. People think that's the Christian movie, right? That right there? No, it's not. Okay, it's the whole thing. It's the battle of good against evil. It's being flawed, of overcoming those flaws. And I could do that all day, and we got to stop doing that. Okay, so... But what we see in some saints, okay, that we should pay attention to, if we look at St. Paul, the apostle, and St. Paul had that capacity to touch the lives of every person. Oh, stupid Galatians. <laughs> so that shouldn't be your model. That shouldn't be the only part of the New Testament that you have memorized, okay? But here's a saint who's telling them they're stupid because they haven't been doing what they're supposed to be doing. On the other side, he could be absolutely charming, but he could be right in your face and just say, Thessalonians, he who, sh who does not work shouldn't eat. Too bad that you're sitting around and waiting for Jesus to come. We don't know when he's coming. Get up and do some work. Okay, it doesn't really happen anymore here, but it used to when I started working here that students would come to me and say, I didn't get my homework done because I have to spend four hours in the port every day. No, okay, so no. Your job here is to be a student, right? But it's also to incorporate that into your life. Saint Paul gave us that model, okay, at great cost. If you hear what he says, I was shipwrecked, I was bitten by a snake, I was whipped, I was put in jail, all of those things, and finally he made the last sacrifice of being be, uh, beheaded in Rome. He became, he says, all things to all men so that everybody can have union with Jesus Christ. There's that in, incarnational dynamism. So God is not up there, all right? So if you think about St. Paul, who Jesus appeared to on the road to Damascus, and every time we think about Damascus, we should be thinking about Syria and especially Aleppo. It's awful. Do you know that Saints Cosmas and Damien were from Aleppo? No, I didn't either. I just noticed it this year for the first time which, you know, I've been at this for a long time. So um, St. Paul was able to have this personal contact unlike Ezekiel, unlike the Maccabees. So Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. Paul gives the obedience of faith. Jesus gives him everything that he needs to do, and he becomes one of the greatest of the apostles. It's that incarnational, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All of the apostles did that. The apostles spread all over the known world. They all died except for St. John. They didn't go into Jewish culture. They went into all those different cultures of all those different countries that they went to, Thomas and India. Okay, nothing in common, nothing that they can, no language that they have in, contact, in um, common. And yet they were made 
they made the gospel available. In India, in the south and Kerala section of India, they're called still today St. Thomas Christians, and they're very proud of that. Imagine, so 2,000 years later, Thomas still has this influence on southern India. That's that personal influence. If we look at St. Francis of Assisi, okay, it's kind of important in my life since I'm a Franciscan sister, but he's important on this campus. He's called the saint of the incarnation because he used his relationship with Jesus Christ to bring Jesus Christ to the people with whom he was speaking in a very radical way, okay, running around the countryside preaching the gospel. So he's, his big three things, in case you haven't noticed that, are the crib, the cross, and the Eucharist, which it's right over there, okay? The crib, the cross, the Eucharist. You ever wondered why those are all, why we still have a nativity set up in July? Have you ever asked yourself that question? No, okay. So um, that's Francis. Those things that we can see and touch and taste, and in his reward, so to speak, for that, he received the stigmata to really to show to people, which he kind of kept a secret. Bonaventure, okay, St. Bonaventure, if you've had Father Dan Petit, he th eats, breathes, th thinks, Bonaventure, it's all Bonaventure, okay? It's Jesus first, but it's Bonaventure second. But Bonaventure uh, was made a cardinal in the church, and while he was, uh, they br brought him the red hat, so this was really a red hat in those days, okay? And he was doing dishes. And he told him to hang it on a tree and he'd get to it later. He also, and St. Francis did this as, as mortified as Francis was, uh, Francis would eat with a friar who was having a hard time with the rigorous fasts. That human touch. Not saying, well, my rule says you have to fast all this time and you're not doing it, so I'm going to kick you out. Instead, he eats with the friars. St. Bonaventure, on his way to the general chapter, okay? He's the father general of the order. And there's a brother having a very difficult time. He stopped everything and just sat down on the ground and talked to the friar. That's that incarnational dynamism of the lives of the saints. People are important. Why are people important? We're made in the image of God. We're creatures of God. And we all have the capacity to come into relationship with Jesus Christ through our baptism, okay? And if we look at the Jesuit missionaries, okay, and a lot of people are very, as soon as I say Jesuit, they roll their eyes, and they don't even know why, okay? So let me tell you, I have a, my bachelor's degree is from St. Louis University, okay? And look how good I turned out, so. <laughs> but the Jesuits were masters at enculturation. The Jesuits were masters. Look at St. Francis Xavier going to Japan, okay, and bringing thousands of people to Christianity in Japan. He knew how to do that. Matteo Ricci went to China, could bring thousands of people into union with Jesus Christ. The North American martyrs, okay, came to New France, which is Canada and the United States all up in that corner together, what's New York and uh, Ontario and, and Quebec. St. John de Brébeuf, it's St. John de Brébeuf, Isaac Jogan Companions, that's their names on the liturgical calendar. St. John de Brébeuf wrote a Christmas song for the natives and said, "'Twas in the moon of winter time when all the birds had fled, that mighty Gitche Manitou sent angel choirs instead." 
And so he used the Indian culture, the native culture, in order to help them understand who Jesus was. My students who have me in, in, in uh, saints know that story really well. So that whole idea of this enculturation, this uh, incarnational dynamism that the saints possessed in the past, we can still use now. And we have so much more uh, at our fingertips, really, because we do have technology. And technology can waste a great part of our day. All right, I'm just as susceptible as you are. But um, maybe not, because I'm old. But uh, the idea of how can you use the technology at your fingertips, literally, uh, to be a better Catholic and to bring more people into the church rather than just using it as a means to uh, just waste time. And this is, Dave Schmeising just heard me say this, but I say it all the time. How much uh, time do you spend on your phone when there are people, real people, face-to-face, -face, never mind FaceTime, around you and you're not paying any attention to them, you're on your phone? That's something to examine our consciences about, okay? Even if the technology was available to them, Francis and Bonaventure and the Jesuit missionaries wouldn't have been on their phones. They would have used them, you know, to kind of get something done, but they wouldn't have done that because the most important thing is the personal contact. That's what we learned from all those saints and the newest saints in the church, Junipero Serra, the last American saint canonized, John Paul for sure. He started using technology. He was all about technology at the time. So was Pope Benedict. That's extraordinarily uncharacteristic of him. And he used it, and then Pope Francis is all over the place. But if you listen carefully to what Pope Francis has to say, it's that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not the technology or Twitter or any of those things. So if you think about all the stuff with Twitter with President Trump, okay, because he's addicted to it and didn't use it in a good way, they've taken some of that away from him because it's all now top secret stuff. So they've already shut down some of his accounts, Secret Service. I mean, you have to. He's president, okay? And look at the trouble that Hillary got into by using her own email to do top secret stuff. Not good, all right? But look at what Pope Francis does with Twitter and what Donald Trump as the candidate did with Twitter. Pope's all about Jesus. President Trump's all about getting elected and whatever, okay? So all of those things, we look at all of those saints up until whoever was ordained the last time. And one of the latest uh, canonizations was that young uh, St. Louis from uh, Mexico. And if you've seen Greater Glory, you know, he was tortured and gave his life up and he was just, he was just canonized last year, all right? So these people from the past, far past, last week, that's the past, what are they showing us? How are they teaching us to have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ ourselves and then to bring those people around us into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ even if it's the people who clean up your mess in the cafeteria? How do you treat the people that you put your dirty dishes into? It's one of my, I used to live in St. Thomas More dorm and ate in the cafeteria for four years. Um, how do you treat them? Do you say thank you? Do you ask them how they're doing? Or it's their job to clean my mess. That's not 
Christian. That's not holy. That's not saintly. It's not going to get you to heaven. Okay? So it's not, oh, I'm going to go on this mission trip and I'm going to do all this stuff. And you're rotten to the people that are sitting around you or you ignore the people that you're sitting around. We're not going to get canonized on that. Faith and Reason Podcasts. New media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.